Good morning, church. Everybody's okay. Sound a little rambunctious out here this morning. Sounds good. At least three of you are rambunctious. Maybe it'll spread like a vibe. That's terrible. Terrible joke. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So, starting a new series this morning. See it on the screen, Opportunity and Opposition. Opportunity and Opposition. And many times when we read scripture and we study and we we really concentrate on our faith, we know these two things kind of always exist, right? God gives us opportunities. We talk about being courageous and obedient and doing those things to seek out those opportunities, take hold of those opportunities. But when the opportunities come, there's always opposition, right? Kind of a simplistic way of looking at it. And we're gonna kind of open that up in Acts chapter three this morning as we continue through Acts and and maybe a familiar um, thing that happens in the very beginning of Acts chapter three and, and really unpack this miracle that happens uh, when Peter and John approach this gate. So we're gonna look at that and, and looking for ways to, to really um, see what God is, is talking to us about today. I think it has a lot to do with, uh, with paying attention. And you're gonna kind of get this as we move through this is, there are many times in life those opportunities are there, but because we're not paying attention, because we're, we're not in God's word, we're not seeking out God, we will miss that opportunity, right? And, and I'm, I, you, know, when, uh, you know, I have issues um, with driving, and I've told you that before, but I got a fresh story. Holy moly, this is a good one. On 80, always got the left you know, people in the left lane, just my own issue, dealing with my own stuff with that. But there's a person in the left lane going 38, all right, 38 miles an hour on Highway 80. And then there's another person on the right side in the correct place. They're also have decided to go 38, okay? I, I offer all kind of forgiveness to the person in the right lane because they're, they're okay. If they're gonna choose to go slower, that's perfectly fine. I don't mind that at all. But one of you has got to go, right? One of you has got to make a decision. I mean, just one mile an hour. And eventually those vehicles will, will pass, right? So I decide to do it, you know, the right thing as a Christian. And I got right on the bumper of the person in the left lane. And I was praying for him and, um, and, and praying that things would happen and his foot would get heavier or get lighter, whichever, it didn't matter. Uh, I just needed to get around. So, but unbeknownst to me, the lady in the right lane, she decides to, to pick up the pace a little bit. So she begins to, before I get it behind her, I'm like, I'm gonna go by. And I'm doing all my planning as to what I'm gonna do to the dude in the left lane. You know, the look, whatever happens. I, don't really, I still don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I have all of these visions of things happening when I approach this man. But when I get there, I look over, I kid you not, it looks like he is working on a research paper on his steering wheel. He is up on here writing things with a pen and a notepad in the driver's seat, right? I was so shocked I, I didn't have anything for him, right? I, I just, you know, just kind of waved and honked and did all the things you're supposed to do. He had no idea I was there. I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, how is this guy doing this? So I wanted to get on, get on out of there. 
But not paying attention is, is a lot of what we do day in and day out, and we miss opportunities. We miss things that may be right in front of us and could end up causing catastrophic events to happen, right? So Luke has, decide, has described the, the early church by saying everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That was back in chapter 2, verses, verse 43. In Acts chapter 2, Luke does not really give like any indication of, of what miracles and signs he's talking about and what wonders may have been. But now that we come to Acts chapter 3, we have an account of at least one of them. And it was when the lame man is uh, healed at the gate called Beautiful, the gate of the temple. So evidently Luke has selected this one from a number of miracles and there must be some type of a reason for this. So we wanna pay attention to why he's, he's given this to us. So why did Luke choose to chronicle this one particular miracle right here at the beginning of this chapter? I think there's two main reasons. One is because it was the occasion of the second sermon of Peter. Peter's second sermon, he's about to preach this sermon after Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10. The rest of this chapter is his second sermon. I think the second reason is because the miracle and sermon were the cause of the first persecution of the church. Opposition. This opposition is about to happen as a result of this first miracle. So on the day of Pentecost, power from heaven came down. We've talked about that. Brandon's preached on it. Many have talked about it over the past few weeks when we were in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit was given to us. The power of God turned despairing doubters into dynamic disciples. They had received the promise of the Holy Spirit. They were clothed with the power from on high. Just saying that song, what a powerful name it is. But power for what? Why did they receive this power? Did they receive the power of God simply to feel better, to, to feel something good about themselves? Did they receive the power to keep it to themselves? No, no, that's not the case. They received the power of God to energize them, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ to the people around them, to the secular society that surrounded them. So the power of the Holy Spirit was for people to enable the disciples to reach out, touch the human need, and share the liberating truth of the gospel of Christ. It's all about personal caring for people, this Holy Spirit life, this Spirit-filled life that comes into us, opens us up to care for people around us. We, we can't ever be content when we sing, and, and some of you folks may remember this song if you were raised in a traditional church in that old hymn, Standing on the Promises. Anybody remember that? Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Anybody remember that? One of you, okay, all right, uh, moving on. So we can't just be content singing Standing on the Promises if all we are doing is sitting on the premises, right? All we're doing is just sitting around with this promise that God has given us. It's meaningless. It's useless. And in this passage is a real example of the power of God's healing. This man was healed physically by the message of this text. 
It's not limited to physical and healing in any way. This passage deals with human healing on every level. So look at Acts chapter 3 with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 to kind of get a picture of what happened here. When Peter and John approached this man. Acts chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for the worship that we've experienced. We're thankful, God, for for this team that uh, gives of themselves each and every week to incorporate us and bring this place into worship because we know that you've promised where two or more gathered, you are with us. So we know that that promise is fulfilled today. As we open your word, God, as we break it open, open your word and, and look into it, God, give us some clarity of mind. Help us to put things aside and, and see and hear and feel what you want us to to have this morning, to take from here something. God, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So just yesterday we had uh, kind of an incident. Um, and I'm not gonna sell anybody out, but um, my daughter was uh, at the house and she has a little dog. Her name's Lucy, the dog's name. My daughter's name is Madeline. But the dog's name is Lucy, a little, little spaniel, and, and she's, she's just a joy. She's fun. So uh, someone else in the family is, is getting something in the kitchen and, and getting a vitamin. It rolls on the floor, and Lucy swoops it up. And, of course, we're all like, that can't be a bad thing, right? Human vitamin. So I decide I'm going to just check online, Google it, right? That's a mistake. So your first thing comes up, dog's dead in 10 minutes, you know, something like that. Like, oh, I might need to read a little bit more. You crack open this little word of encouragement here. So I keep reading and, you know, it's all kind of stuff and makes a long story longer. If you, you know, certain vitamins are bad for dogs. Iron, vitamin D, pretty much the whole alphabet if they're human vitamins. So kept looking at it and, you know, it gives all the things if the, the dog vomits or is nauseated. I don't know how you know a dog's nauseated. They'd look at you and tell you. But if the dog begins to do these things, you might want to seek help. It's Saturday. I don't know if you know this, but poison control costs money. I have no idea why that's the case, but that's disappointing when they want $65 to answer your question. I'm like, huh. 
So anyway, that's another time. We'll deal with that later. But anyway, we're calling different you know, folks, just trying to get some answers here. Finally decide that you know, Madeline's about to go somewhere and, and she needed to go somewhere, so we're gonna leave the dog. I need to go somewhere. And I'm like, I'll just take her with me. No problem. You know, she can just hang out with me. I had to go to Agri Supply. I had to go to another store. I'm not gonna say the name of this store because there was an incident, okay? So I, I take Lucy and I, I was gonna be one of those people. You may be one of those people that takes your dog into a store. I've never been one of those people, but I became one of those people yesterday. Not with a manly dog, but with a smaller dog. And there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that. But here I go into this store and I'm, I'm looking for something in this store and I'm focused on looking for something. Dog's on the leash appropriately, man next to me, and I'm looking, I'm looking. Can't find what I'm looking for. I'm not really paying attention to what's going around me. Out of the corner of my eye, I catch somebody coming down the aisle. Now, I'm going to try to reenact what happened here without pulling a groin or passing out. But this woman walks up, and she's a good 20 feet away from me. And she just stops, and she kind of bends down, and she's got a panic look on her face. I could, I mean, sort of panic. I mean, she had a mask on. So she looked panicked from, from here up, right? So, but she's got this posture, and I feel Lucy kind of pull on me. And by the time I look over, Lucy does something I've never heard her do before. And she extends the leash as far as it will go and launches herself at this woman with a visceral bark that I've not heard yet either. But just, this lady is like this and just runs wide open down the aisle. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This man next to me, he's looking, he's like, (laughs) kind of laugh. It was kind of funny, but I was really worried about, I mean, she may have a heart attack or run into something or somebody, but then all I can think of is I got to get out of this store, (laughs) you know? without being seen again, because she goes up to the uh, front and begins to talk to someone, most likely about my dog, <laughs> right? Like there's a vicious animal on aisle four, you know, something like that. So I got out of there as quickly as I could, didn't buy a thing, didn't get what I went for. I just got out of there because I didn't want, you know, and if, if you're here this morning, I'm so sorry about Lucy. She doesn't hate people, I promise you. She's never done that before. But paying attention, again, an example of, not knowing what's going on around us, missing the mark, not, not seeing what's right in front of us, not uh, being aware of things around us and people who may be in need around us. What we see before us nowadays, what we see so many times, and especially in this story, is human tragedy. Okay, the scripture tells us that this man was crippled, but more than that, this man was crippled from birth. Think about that. He had never been able to stand and walk, to run and play with all the other kids. I'm sure many opportunities were were denied him and and he he had all these limitations, but it's not in the context of the way we're looking at this. I want you to think about not today because we have so many unbelievable resources for, for people who are born certain ways with limitations, with, um, with whatever type of disability there may be, we have ADA, we have all of these things that help in those situations. But 
this was a long time ago. These things were not available. There was nothing available. It says very clearly in the scripture when he was, you know, this man was crippled, but, but he was carried every day somewhere. So, so he didn't have access to mobility. All those things were so difficult. Now he's a grown man and every day his friends carry him to the temple so he can beg for a living. I think we can only speculate concerning, you know, what effect that had on his heart his ability to, to do things. He could easily be bitter. There had never been a day in his life when he had not been a burden to somebody, dependent on somebody. He could not walk. He could not work. All he could do was beg, sit there, and hope that people would have pity on him. Pity. What a word, Right? Isn't that what we offer so many times to people? Pity? Because when you've gone through something difficult, if you're right in the midst of something difficult, your story will also become a, a piece of social currency that people use, right? Story may be good enough for people to share, something for people to connect through. Oh, did you hear about Hannah? Yeah, it's, it's so sad. And that's not usually, you know, nefarious or it's not usually malicious. But the more your story gets passed around, the more the edges kind of get rubbed off. It goes from something like multifaceted, something complex to something simple, something sad. And that, the pity, is what makes the isolation of suffering even lonelier. You're not a sad story, even if your story is sad. Your story might make someone feel bad, but you don't need anyone to feel bad for you. I know that pity is the cheapest emotion there is, right? It costs us nothing to feel bad for somebody. So we toss pity around like emotional confetti can feel sorry for them. I know earlier in my life, I've felt bad for so many people. I felt bad for the guy standing at the intersection begging for something. I felt bad for him. I felt bad for the starving kids my parents told me about why I refused to eat something green or that wasn't lathered in butter, right? I felt bad for those kids. I felt bad for the kid who wasn't like me, who didn't have the right clothes, or maybe he didn't smell quite right. What a jerk. What a jerk I was. If you know this, I may have shared this before, but I first went into ministry. You, know, you take the spiritual inventory, spiritual tests, see what your spiritual gifts are. You have all things like leadership and discipleship and pastoral care and mercy and blah, 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 all these things. I take the inventory and it comes out. When it came to mercy, I scored a zero. Oh, I'm going in the right field. I'm merciless at 22 years old. Had zero mercy. My mentor at the time said, yeah, probably need to work on that. <laughs> That's an understatement. Jerk, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was my mercy not showing. I want to defend myself. What do you mean I don't have any Mercy. 
But God can change that, can change that in us. Pity let me keep the suffering of others at a distance. I could just pity them. To observe it like a, a television show and turn human beings into nothing but sad stories, sad things that were sad. And they happened to other people. It wasn't a problem until I was the other people. And those sad things were happening to me. It's amazing how easy life is until life is not, right? It's amazing how easy it is to believe certain things until an experience, a diagnosis, a tragedy, or a death happens to us, not around us. See, the healing of this man is both literal and symbolic. It's a literal that for over 40 years in chapter 4, if you were to jump ahead to verse 22, it, be, it tells us how long this man had suffered from an ailment that made him lame. He was born that way. He had never known the freedom of going anywhere without having to ask others to carry him. It's symbolic that what we see in life of this man is a picture of the tragedy of the human condition. Everywhere we look, there's human hurt though, right? Human suffering, human tragedy. Sometimes it manifests, manifests itself through physical affliction such as this man, but more often it goes unseen by the human eyes. We don't always see everyone's hurt. For everyone who is crippled physically, there are literally tens of thousands who are crippled emotionally, and there are hundreds of thousands who are crippled spiritually, and the message of this man is that there are needs to be met in human lives everywhere. And those needs exist in, in the lives that can seem outwardly wonderful. Think about, think about right now, during this time, the time of the COVID, right? Confusion, emotional distancing, all of those things that are going on, fears that are around us, it comes, it goes, it, it comes in waves, we're frustrated, we, we don't know how to make decisions sometimes, should I do this, should I not do this? Well, the early days of isolation for, illuminated for me that confusion and emotional distance many of us have, or many of us have, have felt after a tragedy. It kind of brought those things to the surface. We've seen a lot of people looking for or looking at the suffering and fear of other people saying, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. We're all in this together. You'll be fine. We're all in this together, but at least not in the same ways because none of us experience anything the same way. Even the death of a loved one is a different experience for every mourner. Remember funerals? <laughs> Remember those? We used to have those occasionally. I mean, man, who, who knew one day we would long for a funeral? We've had them, but they're still very different because a funeral is a communal experience filled with people crying over something entirely personal, but it's communal. And so is this, the way you experience this pandemic, this isolation, this unemployment, this confluence of events is specific to you. 
Those of you who may be watching online because of fear and anxiety of being around people, you're literally watching this service because there may be too much fear to be around people. In my practice, I've had a, a few folks who, who did test positive and who got extremely sick and now are dealing with a post-traumatic stress of being around people again, the fear of, of getting sick again. Yes, it's affecting the entire world and it is affecting you differently than it affects me. It affects me differently than it affects my wife and my kids. But because we're all carrying our own internal world inside of us, a nice big mix of emotion that includes the context of who we are in the world, what happened to us before and what is happening to us now. We need our individual experience acknowledged, not just by others, but ourselves. Nobody needs our pity, not even you, but everyone needs our empathy, even you. This lame man sat and begged at the gate called Beautiful. And from historical accounts, we know this gate was indeed impressive sight. It was inlaid with Corinthian bronze, and ornately decorated gold, and when sun would shine on it, it would, just, it would just explode across the horizon. You could see it from miles and miles away. But yet sitting under its magnificent beauty, this gorgeous, ornate structure, is this lame man. Sitting right there, and it's kind of the irony of, of so many churches with this ornate structures and beautiful, iconic uh, architecture, which is wonderful. But the irony of it is, is how hurting people are covered in its midst. How many of our coworkers or friends or neighbors appear outwardly to be doing okay, yet inwardly they are struggling. They're overextended financially. They don't know what to do with their children. Their marriages may be falling apart. Their jobs hanging by a thread. They've lost self-esteem, they're guilty, depressed, don't know where to turn. Behind every door, there's human need. Every person has a story to tell. We've all been hurt, we've all been used, we've all failed, and we all need healing. People need a heavenly touch from God. What this man needed, indeed, what all people need is a heavenly touch from God, not pity. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit made available to him. But how was he going to get it? How was this going to happen to him? Because every day he came to the temple, every day he sat and begged. He wasn't in the group at Pentecost. He didn't know what was going on. He wasn't, he, he lived his life out of the mainstream. He was oblivious to the good news of God. He couldn't get to church, and I'm not sure he would have gone if he could. Why should he go? What was there for him? Unfortunately, this is the attitude of many people today about church. People all over have negative things to say about the Big C Church. They've been through so much hurt. You've been hurt. You know people have been hurt. Well, the crippled man may have been like that. Who would bring this heavenly touch? Well, I want to share a few things to help us see who we are called to be as a church. And the first thing I want you to look at 
very closely is we must expect something. We must expect something. The, the very beginning there in verses three through five, it was the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon, which was the usual hour of prayer for the Jews. But it has a special significance to the Christians because it was the very hour on which Jesus died on the cross. The hour at which he cried, it is finished. Peter stopped and said to him, look at us. According to verse five, this man expected to receive something from Peter and John. That's what he was there for. He didn't know what he was going to get. Obviously, he thought it would be money, but his faith was quickened by Peter's words. This is very necessary to receive anything from God. We must expect something from him. How is it that so many people can enter into a time of worship? Us, many of us here today can enter into a time of worship with God and leave unchanged. How is that possible? Many of us have, have never given our attention to God. We come in never expecting to receive anything. Because unfortunately, we turn off our minds when we get into church where kind of chalking it up to that thing we do on Sundays and we start thinking of all kinds of other things. We even catch up on the, on the Facegram and the Twitter and, the, and all that stuff, the, you know, the Snapbook and the Instadrama, all those things we're gonna catch up during church. Get on our phone. Golly, I hope he finishes. Three minutes till 10. It's got 15 more minutes. Holy crap. I gotta keep going, keep going. We're not expecting God to do anything. So unfortunately, the life-changing truth that goes out from the scripture misses us and passes right by because we're not expecting God to do anything. The second thing is we must provide healing. We must provide healing. In verses six through seven, the minute that Peter had this man's attention, he did two things. First, he admitted his bankruptcy and material things. Silver and gold, have I none? That had to be disappointing to the beggar, right? Well, this ended before it started. Now I've got to listen to him preach to me for 10 minutes about why my legs don't work. It was not that they were opposed to giving to the poor, but they could not give what they did not possess. And then he demonstrated his spiritual adequacy in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They could impart the power of Christ because they were full of Christ. He could only give what he had. And so it is with us. If we do not possess a living relationship with Jesus Christ, we will never be able to impart a heavenly touch to others. We can feed them, we can clothe them, we can give them stuff, but they're gonna need it again. And again, and again, what are we doing that helps someone permanently? You can only impart what you have. It's important that we take care to develop our own spiritual life. And if we would impart spiritual life to others, we have to do that. We must be careful not to let the things of this world get in the way of that. Today, we're able to say much more often that we do have silver and gold. But how often can we say, get up and walk? 
The apostles didn't have silver and gold, but they had the power of God. What we need are not possessions, but power. Power to touch people's lives with the presence of the living God. Power to reach out to people and lift them up out of their tragic circumstances and give them hope and healing, friendship and fellowship. What do we have to offer? I tell you, we need to stop offering pity and offer empathy. Stop pitying people, which keeps them at a distance, and live with people and feel the things that they are feeling will make us respond to a need. Empathy is a very overused and slightly misunderstood buzzword right now. We don't have the language to express how we how lonely it feels to have our tragedy reduced to just a sad story. We usually don't have the language to say that it's okay for hard things to to be hard and scary things to be scary. That we don't need to feel bad for people. We need to show up for people. We need to feel with people. Many people do show up. When tragedy happens, We gather, don't we? When something happens and it hits social media, people come running. Want to be there. Some out of nosiness. Some who really want to help. They're not cruel people. They're just oblivious people sometimes. Pity usually is like that. It looks like being nice and feels extremely unkind. We can provide healing by showing up and being present in the midst of pain. The third thing is we must bring joy. We must bring joy. In verse eight, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The man who had never walked in his life stood up with a leap and he didn't quit leaping. Can you imagine? Of course he didn't quit leaping. He was excited. The man was changed. Not only was he healed, but joy flooded his soul. The scripture says, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God because someone cared enough to reach out to him in the name of Jesus, his life had been transformed. What did this mean to him? It meant now he could walk. It meant now he could work. Remember, this was not a time of having all the resources that we have today. He had nothing but dependency on people. So his life became more fulfilled. But it meant more than that, much more. It meant that somebody cared. It meant that God loved him. Now he could live in communion with God every day. He had been healed in more ways than one. How could he help but rejoice? And that's precisely what he did. Walking and leaping and praising God, I'd say he was excited. So should we be. Where is that excitement in your life? I can remember growing up and I had a minister friend of mine said this. He said this on occasion at at church. He said, you know, sometimes I get confused that somewhere between Sunday school and worship, it's like somebody put Jesus back on the cross. Somebody killed him again. What happened between playing with the felt boards or coloring 
and doing the things you would do in Sunday school and then coming into worship. It's like, whoa, man, it's so fun. Ooh. Who died? You know, everybody's just kind of looking around and there was no joy. Joy is something that comes from the spirit living in and through us. That's on us. That comes back to the very first thing I said is we have to create that expectation, praying that God do something today. I am here in open book. Speak to me, work in me. Let me see what you want me to see. I expect something to happen. Fourth thing is we must bring wonder. We must bring wonder, verses nine through 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There was an immediate twofold effect. The people were convinced that it was God at work and that this miracle had been done in the name of Jesus. The people saw it and were convinced that God was at work and they had prepared to listen to the explanation. The explanation is Peter's second sermon that occupies the remainder of this chapter when Peter is talking about what had happened and what they need to do to, to be saved, to be able to follow Christ. And the last thing, the fifth thing is we must serve. We must serve. The lame man needed a touch from God. So this is, a, this is a nice story, isn't it? Man down and out, he gets healed. Okay, so what? What does it have to do with me? What effect does that have on me? A little long ago, yeah, happened, maybe. How does that change my life? When I read scripture, I often try to place myself in the story, which character am I? Who do I identify with most today? Do you ever do that? Reading the scripture, you know, maybe you put yourself in a place where you want to be somebody and you're like, ha, ah, might need to strive a little harder to find that spot. I could see myself as the lame man, hurting at times, down, depressed, overwhelmed with life, possibly dependent on other people, feeling like a burden at times. I could find myself there. I'd like to see myself as Peter or John though. God, that would be so much better. The extension of the church reaching out to the lame and hurting in our community. I want to I want to be one of those guys. But do you know who we really are in the story? Do you know how we as a church are portrayed many times? We're all the hundreds, if not thousands of people who walked right by the lame man and did nothing did nothing, just walked by day after day after day. That's who we are so many times, and it's sad. Even as the church, we carry that indictment from the community and from the public. We have to show up. How are you serving? How are you showing up in people's lives? 
Because when the crowd is passing by, when the people are showing pity, let's be different. Let's do more to provide healing, to provide comfort, to meet people where they are. So where are you in that story? Where do you see yourself in that story? I think of a hundred different scenarios of how God can use each and every one of us. And one of the things that comes to mind more so than not, and it probably has to do with, uh, with being a therapist and, and sitting with people day in and day out. But I think what drives that feeling of just pitying someone not only just keeps us at a distance and I can offer this cheap emotion and pity you, but if I don't get close enough, I'm not gonna get touched by it. So it's not gonna harm me. It's not gonna make me feel uncomfortable if I can just say, ooh, that sounds really, really bad. I need to go to Walmart. It keeps me at a distance because it's messy in there. It's messy when when people open their lives up to you and they're asking for or needing something Let me just leave you with this word of encouragement because more times than not, what people need from us is presence, not preaching, is silence in the midst of tragedy to just be there. The other opportunities will come. Those opportunities will present themselves and then you will be able to speak. You will be able to share you will be able to offer hope that only comes from God's word. So I pray and challenge each one of us this week is where there are opportunities, let's be courageous to step into those opportunities, to be with people, to be present with people, to think, am I offering pity or or am I truly being empathetic and sitting with this person and being with this person in the midst of their stuff. God wants to do that for each one of us and promises and does that each and every day. So let's stand where we are this morning. We're gonna pray and be dismissed. You'll just stand to your feet. I wanna challenge each one of us. God, you are the God of healing You are bigger than all of the things that we face and are facing right now. God, even in the midst of uh, tragedy and fear and the unknowns of this pandemic and when will it end, so many people are still suffering today. But God, we know that your promises are real. And I pray that each person who is here this morning, each person who may be listening to this service online, that God, that you speak to our hearts right now. For those of us who are in this room and are online who, are, who, who, are rep, who we truly are, this, this beggar, this, this person who is lame, who's, de, who's down, who's depressed, who's being oppressed, so many things are weighing on us, God. I, I pray that the rest of us find those opportunities to reach in and make a difference in those people's lives. 
because many of us are hurting God. So even when the opposition comes and that feeling of, no, don't do that today. You got a busy afternoon. Don't do that. We put our agendas aside. We put our, our priorities aside to do what you've called us to do. So God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.